Welcome, welcome to the What If We Could show, where every week we ask that burning question around new topics in artificial intelligence and tech alpha. Uh, I'm today's host, Kelvin, and I've got with me Bob and Kevin. And today we're going to talk about how Etsy launches a new gift mode, Lumiere, a new space-time diffusion text-to-video model by Google, how AI helps to identify deadly pancreatic cancer, how 11 Labs raised 80 million Series B, and Neuralink begins human tests. So let's get started. Let's do it. Hey, right. everybody. Hey, hey. Where do you want to start? Cool. So start. Etsy launches new gift mode. Kevin, you want to kick us off here? Yeah, I thought this one was really interesting. Uh, Etsy launching the new gift mode, touting it being AI-powered. Uh, I, I think it's got a lot of really great leverage, based on my understanding, of using AI LM, LLMs to, to accomplish this. Uh, over 200 different personas to be able to say, hey, who I am going to answer a few different questions about uh, giving a gift to somebody and who, you know, who is it? What do they like? And it's going to come back with some different recommendations. You know, they, they said 200 different personas uh, that they've you know put together. Whenever I hear that and, and start hearing limiting numbers, I think there's, you know, a little more deterministic heuristic rules than there is, uh, you know, AI that explores much more uh, niche facets, but to apply AI to go through hundred million different products that they have on their storefront, right? I think is a really great use of, of uh, artificial intelligence to even make this possible going through all those products and saying, what is giftable and uh, what types of people would like what types of, of gifts. So uh, I'll, I'll start there. I think that's, it's a, it's, it's pretty cool to see also tactical implementation of AI for revenue generation by a company, right? This isn't cost savings. This isn't question and answer. Uh, it, you are answering questions, but you're ultimately getting to an outcome. Uh, and Etsy is looking to get to more dollars. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of like what's old is new, though this isn't uh, that old. Um, back in our enterprise martech days we used to call it guided selling you know um better simpler is uh just personalized product recommendations but moving from you know sort of static data driven uh products that might match to asking folks like who is the recipient of the gift or who are you if you're going through your own buying process those tools have been around for i'd say 10 years or so ai powered so machine learning power, I should say. Um, and is this really an example of uh, sort of reinvigorating tried and true methods with AI to take it to a whole nother level? Um, guided selling with AI, well, in my opinion, I think is the way to sell stuff moving forward, right? Try to get as as laser targeted of a of a lens of an understanding around a person uh, and you have a wide swath of services and products to offer them in a catalog, you can make way better and uh, targeted recommendations to that person that not just map to the features of the product you're looking for, but maybe lifestyle of the person, which has always sort of been a Nirvana goal for marketers. 
And I'm really curious how they did it. I mean, in, in some of the articles that I read, they, they talked about it being a collaboration with uh, GPT-4 and that they said they used a combination of uh, machine learning, human creation, and OpenAI's GPT-4. Um, I mean, it's fascinating in general, right? The retail sector is so ripe for doing that. And like you said, Bob, they've tried to do that using heuristic models for, you know, as, as, as long as... Um, commerce exists well specifically you know in e-commerce um and it's kind of interesting it, it is in before that age of ai it has never really taken hold i think there's been a lot of attempts to fully personalize it but it has always stopped short a little bit um where do you guys see sort of the the effect of having you know here machine learning and language models getting into that how do you guys think that they'll actively use it where will they unlock the value here as opposed to using a simple heuristic model i think my mind goes to to routing you know like even in the old world of guided selling with xg boost and other machine learning models behind it ultimately that's like uh advanced form of routing you, you know everything's sort of known what path should we send this person down to get to that state, that uh, that conversion? And I think that's starkly different than what we're looking at here with AI, specifically generative, right? So that they have 200 personas, that doesn't mean there's only 200 outcomes. There's probably an infinite quantity of outcomes here. They're just sort of tailoring this around 200 known personas, which is a lot of personas when you think about it. Um, so that that's where my mind goes is this sort of like... Um, Path is more goal seeking, path finding in essence than um, path selection. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I guess it's interesting with the two hundred personas, right? So, I'm I'm curious where where in the process do they use the the GPT, right? So, do they use it to attach you to a certain persona? So, kind of mapping. You know, they they have predefined the personas and have predefined the mapping of the personas to sort of the product recommendations or the gift recommendations and then they're using the llm part to attach you to a specific persona is that is that where they're using it i think it's unclear yeah i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not i'm not sure at the very least it it does feel like a bit of a a miss slash a growth opportunity as you're calling out bob to uh it's still 200 personas is way better than are you trying to buy a gift for a wedding or a birthday Right, like a couple options: a you know Father's Day, the, the classic marketing calendar, uh, as as it's known. It, it still leaves, from my perspective, to start thinking about navigating to product recommendations. Something we desired for finding, like the power of for, of using an LLM to find niches within that. So one of those two hundred personas, or a, a few of them, have to be something around uh, gamer, right? So, something along the lines of likes gaming. That's that's okay. You know, as as someone that likes gaming, and, and, and anybody that spends the time around the ecosystem knows there's a lot, a lot of niches within that. And to be able to better identify what those niches are without putting too much burden on the person answering questions and doing the shopping, that's the balance here. You can get a lot further in the niche of matching up what out of those 100 million products on Etsy which ones are the second tier down under gaming uh, that would be a home run of, of receiving it, right? So we've all gotten a gift of, hey, you're a sports fan. Here's a, here's a sports gift. Like, oh, thanks, right? That one's a little bit 
easier because you start doing affinity with teams. Uh, it's a and and so you can be a little bit more broad with some other types of categories uh, and still hit it. But man, to deliver something with minimal questions to the gift giver that just feels like I know you, I picked this out for you. Here you go. That would be the that would be the magic. Uh, I think of trying to apply LLMs here. I was going to pick this thing, but because you said this other thing, it's actually this, it's this product instead, right? Mm-hmm. It all boils down to like that, that magic word, right? Which is inference. I think people skip, skip over that keyword. When you think about AI, it's literally the motion of, of AI doing its thing. It's doing inference. Um, inference is powerful, right? That's the value of the human is that we're able, we're able to bridge the chasm and infer things that aren't directly connected digitally. Um, and so, you know, that, that's where my, my mind goes in terms of the value here is doing that at scale. Yeah. I think an, an even better if here, as I started thinking about this uh, gifting product under Etsy, would be what if I could curate five to 10 gifts really quickly from this process that are very close to within the realm of the the bullseye of the target of giving a really great gift to somebody. And then I fund my Etsy gifting wallet. So lock up my money and say, Hey, I'm willing to give 25 bucks, the products that are curated around 25 bucks already and, and right on target. And then I send Bob a, uh, a, Hey, great. You know, pick out your, pick out your gift. Here it is. Here's some, some things I thought you'd like, but you know, grab the one that you really want. And so now you get the best of both worlds. You get to be thoughtful. The money's committed. So Bob doesn't feel bad. It's like, it's, it's, this gift is happening and you just be, you're, you're able to choose what you want without having to return it to then ultimately get what you want. And this could be the place where Calvin, that, that next level down of LLMs applied where, well, now Bob's driving. Bob knows Bob. Bob clicks into one of the five gifts and then it's okay you can have that or do you want me to expand that tier down and say here's the other 10 things that you are probably interested in from from just that one piece of information missing to go a click deeper and it's it sounds like product recommendations it sounds like stuff we've been doing forever but i think it's like vast i think it's a lot lot different there's a there's a there's a slight tweak in the interface there that would make it just dramatically different and more personalized and make Bob light up that I spent 25 bucks on him. Not the first time Kevin buys me stuff mm-hmm. all the time. I got an awesome <laughs> coffee mug and I've got a Beeple coffee table book that I'm looking at right now. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's the best thing you can spend your money on making other people smile. For sure. Um, speaking, speaking of inference, um, have you guys seen sort of the, the new text to video model that Google has brought out? Have you, have you looked into Lumiere? I think, I think Bob, you mentioned it a bit before. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I, I skimmed the paper. Um, couldn't talk technically into how they do it, but the thing I'm excited about is, uh, according to the paper, is that long, long-running video being generated, but it's all one shot, which is a departure from typical approach of like frame by frame. Um, that to me seems interesting, both from like horsepower infrastructure, but also I think continuity, I I, I'd love to see a, uh, output in like a week or two, um, with this once, uh, implementations there on like a hugging face to try out. 
And I have a suspicion that's going to be a higher quality than some of the like hallucinatory videos that we've seen over the last few months. They're absolutely getting better across the board. And they were already before this, which is the third point of excitement, which is, okay, Google says we've got something better. Uh, can't wait to see what those outputs can, can mean like today. And then, you know, moving forward, maybe a year from now, what those could be and how fast they could potentially generate themselves. What do you yeah, think? It's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, first of all, seeing how the incumbents are starting to catch up and ramping up in terms of how they catch up, right? Like if you, if we, you know, we've been following Runway for a while, Pika obviously as well, right? All of, all of the, the, the new kids on the block that have made great strides and, you know, it's been quiet from Google, at least on the video front for, for a while. And now suddenly, you know, we have this new research model coming out um giving us giving us very seemingly very good results um and speaking speaking of the model looking into it a little bit deeper like um what i think what i think is is interesting in terms of how and and also without going too deep um into the the technical details of it but you know so far we have you know generate keyframes and fill in the gap right a lot of a lot of video generation has been about sort of you know in in inferring an interpolation between frames right and sort of adding in the gaps to create motion so basically trying to get from consistent frame to frame by interpolating in between what's very interesting in sort of the the space time unit architecture that they're trying to do and that's what you tapped on before is essentially trying to um, produce the entire video in one pass, right? So basically, that's how they want to ensure temporal consistency. So in 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 sort of the approach that Google is taking, it's a little bit more like three D mapping the space, if that makes sense, right? So they're basically trying to predict how the elements in a scene would change and looking at them a little bit more as three D objects in a scene, and that way they can kind of produce the entire pass or the, or the scene without having to go frame 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 interpolation and I'm, I'm personally like i said we've only seen what google has shown us so so far which is obviously highly um hand-picked uh examples or cherry-picked examples right but the approach sounds um like an interesting way to combine you know spatial information with temporal information um and get sort of a, a visually and temporally coherent outcome so interesting to see where that whole sort of space diffusion model is going to go to. Um, but the results look very promising. So curious to see how Google follows up. What do you guys think yeah. about sort of the, the incumbent play and how, how does Google get, get there now in comparison? Yeah, I wanted to come back to that. You can't sleep on the incumbents. They are slower to do product marketing and release because there's more to lose for the teams that are driving this forward. There's, there's credibility both for the company, for stature of the employees they're driving it forward. But they, they didn't just wake up and see Pika Labs and go, oh man, we need to get on this video generation. These are skunk works projects inside these organizations. Oftentimes way before the startups launched the productized version, right? Google wrote the paper on GPTs. So let's not forget that. OpenAI would not be where it's at even if Google didn't just publish the paper and say, here's the secrets to uh, changing the world with LLMs. So I, I think they have a lot more aces up their sleeve. It's really a matter of can they productize it in 
uh, enough, fast enough in a way that's going to make a difference. Uh, and also don't forget that if it doesn't work, Google and incumbents kill things. And, and so tools go away, uh, which is fine. And it's okay for their business as well. Uh, it doesn't mean they won't take another crack at it, but they could launch something and it could be around for a little bit. And then it could just, you know, get the sunset email and say, Hey, this isn't really working out for us. It's gone. So I'm saying that as a don't over index on incumbents either, that there's not room for Pika labs and others to sustain, uh, over the long haul. Yeah. My mind goes to consolidation, right? And this has been a theory of mine for a couple months now. Uh, considering the age of AI being upon us, right? I, I just think it's consolidation all the way up from here. Um, partly because, you know, AI presents a situation where, you know, previously entrepreneurs get in a room and they have a new novel concept and it sort of comes with a moat, right? Your first mover advantage, some sort of novel breakthrough academic unlock that you're taking to market. And now, in the world of AI, the 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 moat is very shallow. If they're at all, it may look more like a row of hedges or something in your yard instead of a dugout moat around your home or your castle. In this analogy, um, and I think what we'll likely see is just acquisition M and A is going absolutely bonkers. You know, it's a resource problem when you get down to it. Right? Can we solve big hairy problems? was always the name of the game. Now it's, can we solve big, hairy problems really fast before somebody else does? And can we monetize it before it becomes commoditized um, and just trivial to replicate? And hence the, the no moat concept. And so what I think we'll see with a high degree of probability is any new startup with something novel is going to get uh, merged, right? Acquired up into the incumbents, and I think those incumbents just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, the Microsofts, the Googles, the Salesforce, the Amazons at all just start bursting at the seams. And that's their primary growth driver is acquisition of novel new unlocks, specifically using AI that we couldn't do before versus having to do R&D and uh, the product of themselves. Yeah, and it's not even just about solving the problems quickly and having the teammates and staffing resources it's it's compute uh, right the the amount of compute to train to to take that next swag at the next model that stays ahead is arguably uh, as big of a barrier as the ability and knowledge from teammates to be able to it's i'll call it equal parts right now it's to give credit to the humans it's probably more weighted towards compute than it is to the very smart humans that work at these these startups, uh, and and who has more compute and resources to buy compute than uh, the the big dogs, right? So yeah. that's a very another reason for that consolidation to to happen. We've also like heard rumors of it in what we'd consider some early stage startups that have had breakout success and traction that are still going great. But I'm burning ten million dollars a month on compute, and I got to find more cash or a home like by the end of the year. Right. There's it's it's a uh, it, that the the perils of being successful in AI is the bills get big fast. Yeah, that's and right. We've seen we've seen this this tail, and that's I think why why your acquisition strategy is probably or, or theory is spot on. Bob is, you know, you 
it's at some point you you gotta you gotta merge into you know someone with bigger coffers right and and like the 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 incumbents just have large swaths of coffers at, at their disposal to even just keep running these models for a bit more i mean i'm still curious to see though when we'll reach the point of this this needing to get to a point like you know in the case of google we've seen this turn out repeatedly in the past right where they kill anything that's below a 100 million revenue threshold you know because it's just not relevant to them and so if you look at if you look at ai currently i mean it's still a big question as to when will that compute get to a like the the excess of compute on the one side that you're using versus you know the value that you create on the other side actually get to a level where where we see something matching um and to, just to give another side, right, I find it really interesting how, and I mean, that might be more tied to the, the current lawsuits and, and things like that on the open AI side, right? But I don't know if you've noticed the same thing, but GPT in its capacity, GPT-4 has been reduced massively when you're trying to interact with it. And that is us being heavy users still, right? We're also heavy API users. But if you look at the, the pure interface um, in terms of what it, gives back to you has been reduced quite drastically, right? That could also be because it, you know, maybe it's worth reducing, you know, the, the heavy load that it needs to do to do something and, and reduce costs, right? So we're still in that game where we don't know where this is going to land um, in, in I hope it wasn't you know, spreadsheet profitable driven. land. I hope it wasn't spreadsheet driven because I could see that type of decision being made like, oh, we can reduce <laughs> our costs by making the output worse and we would increase our <laughs> because people are going to use it more to refine it they get 2x right. the lift on, on utilization and cut costs in half like if you presented that to the board they'd say yeah let's do that businesses right. do that all the I mean, time obviously hypothesizing reduce but very yeah re reduce service quality uh by a, a acceptable percent and dramatically reduce cost companies do that all the time why not a tech company delivering infrastructure services yeah yeah yeah. Now, look at like, I think Google and Microsoft stand alone to me, right? Because they are big incumbents with unlimited war chests, but they're also model providers. Microsoft by way of open AI, but Google directly and infrastructure providers, to your point. And I think another just last thought on the acquisition side is really what they're able to do now that they haven't before is they, they can mitigate their risk on new product development. So if, if AI is accessible to all, and it's sort of trivial to, to reconcile and sort of run it with a lot of these hosted services, that means when papers like the Lumiere, like we just talked about, drop, it's not one startup going after it. There's probably 30, as in the last 24 hours, that have sprung up to go after implementation to monetize that. Now, as Google... We can just sit back, release new novel approaches to things, and let startups and competition in the market decide who's going to emerge from that that soup and go acquire that one. We're already at a $100 million business. We had no skin in the game, no risk, and we used evolution, essentially, like survival of the fittest. Whoever emerges from this, this subcat is going to be a part of Google. Um, and mm -hmm. all the while they're monetizing both sides of the equation, right? Because they're the infra and the model provider likely. Great, great example. I mean, if you look at Alpha Codium, I don't know if you've seen the news around that and it being sort of the, the open source 
um, follow on on a Google DeepMind's AlphaCode, right? It's basically an open source um, version of it, right? And just surpassing Google, you know? Um, and like, who's to say that this is going to be sort of, you know, re re reincorporated in the right ways? So there's definitely a chance this, we, we will see this happen more often. Um, speaking of, you know, great new things though, and, and like maybe to try and get this a little bit on the, on the in positive impact side of it all um, on the AI spectrum. I think one, one paper or one research that I found particularly interesting this week was, uh, is called PRISM. So it's basically a risk prediction system to help catch um, deadly pancreatic cancer um, earlier. And there was a, it was released also on the MIT Technology Review. And it's fascinating. Like um, just to give a couple of the stats that I found really interesting about it is one, it's a larger scale study. So they, they included um, indicators from 1.5 million individuals. So that for one, I find, I find highly interesting because now we're getting to a state and that's, that used to be before the, the AI hype of the last two years, getting good quality based data in health was very challenging with the new AI hype. We see a lot more, um, a lot more opening up across the science community for, for this to happen. And they actually managed to um, predict the likelihood of someone developing pancreatic cancer within six to 18 month window before any clinical diagnosis was made. So just, just think about that, right? So it's up to 18 months earlier than any clinical diagnose. Um, and so I think this is where we're really starting to see in incredible unlocks and they used a they used a combination of statistical and machine learning techniques so they they built two models one neural network and one lr um to do that and the outcomes are just significant um so i think that's that's one great leap forward and i'd love to see more of these um coming in the future yeah that was really exciting um AI is uniquely suited to do things like early intervention faster than humans, right? We had a bottleneck problem with people. We only had two eyes, uh, you know, like a, a lab only has a certain number of people with heads that have those two eyes. And so you're limited in terms of, uh, you know, labs, labs coming through to test and analyze. And here we can do that at scale. Um, that's exciting. And I know pancreatic ca cancer, um, affects a lot of families around the world and is a very, very deadly cancer. So six to 18 months ahead is literally, that's probably one of the most exciting things I've heard since we, since we've been on this journey on the AI side, that's profound. Yeah. And, and just, and just yeah. this week, I, I overheard a conversation with, um, fairly, fairly well, well-known, um, clinical clinical researcher and, and doctor in the medical field. I'm not, not, not going to name names here, but it was, it was very interesting. And he, he basically, he came back from a symposium, <laughs> yeah. came back from a symposium and he was, um, he was just flabbergasted, right? He was, he, his, his, his opinion was basically said, said we're done because he listened to an entire um, podcast where, you know, the, uh, not, not a podcast, sorry, a symposium at the conference that he was at. And um, it was about how, the whole diagnostic spectrum in most areas already through using LLMs is covers 80% of any diagnosis that they can potentially do. And he was just, uh, and, you know, seeing, seeing that, how it starts to impact it, 
um, that scene is just insane. So he said, he said, uh, we're done. What was that? A, uh, like a negative thought, like, oh man, I'm not going to have a job anymore. Or we're done in terms of like having to deal with, uh, diseases and things that are now like fixable. Well, I think in, in, in their case specifically affecting also, you know, their, 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 their entire research department and diagnostics department. So I guess it was both ways. Like they're, they're very deep into sort of trying to get AI into their entire research program. So it's a very interesting thing to see, right? So they're definitely interested in exploring that, but it, I wouldn't, it's definitely a mixed bag of feelings. You could tell, you know, there's both, there's the, the fear and the excitement of what this can do. Um, and with, with research results, such as what we're seeing here with PRISM, this is just underlying, underlying the fact that we are there now. Right. This is not some hypothetical future, but yeah. we are at a point where it is objectively at large scale studies getting better than a human to predict these things. Sheesh, that happened really fast. There were so <laughs> many people telling me to not worry about this and it's going to take five to 10 years. I said, not this time. And uh, here yep. we are. Just literal life changing improvements compounding on a weekly basis. N it's really we we will only be able to connect it looking back and even just using the last year and what the humanity already knows that they don't know like way way past can we chat with you know chat gpt and llms these are the sleeper things that it's like here's another headline here's another headline oh by the way we discovered this out in deep space that we didn't ha you know see before these are these are and each one of these fields is massive compounding improvements and it's it's hard to see it through the the daily lens of oh yeah that's another that's another one put another one on the shelf so uh, yeah, five and ten out. years where, where are we going to be at five and ten years bob bonkers we'll be in the basement with our vr goggles on sitting on a beach probably <laughs> i don't know that sounds nice so i, I so saw an article about you it, pick. Con concrete actually just again using ai they've now uh discovered a new form of concrete that's like stronger than steel uh oh and by the way here's a million new proteins we didn't know about before i clicked the button and now we have like a million new proteins like holy crap oh my god yeah we are we are so not ready at tinkering this i i saw this this sentence the the other day where it was um you know we are humanity in general is the very best at just childlike stumbling into complexities and toying with things that they don't yet know how to deal with and that is that is such a good description of what humanity is um you know we're literally toddlers um, playing in the sand with this massive tool called ai and seeing how things go but things like what we've seen here with with prism um we can see that there is well great use and potential i'm glad it just being put to use and, and, and take you know, the man out of the way. cave, but you can't take the mm -hmm. cave out of the man. That's fair. Um, in in I, other news, more in terms of like support, we've um, got some exciting new things around sort of AI voice technology too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one I wanted to share. I, th I think I'm a I'm a big fan of Eleven Labs. They have really great for what you know what they do is create uh, audio clones and synthetic voices for people to be able to use in whatever content that they need. 
and I've used it a f- um, few different times on a couple of different projects and things that we've done. Uh, and it gets the job done really good. I've cloned my own voice using it. And uh, I, I remember we were the four of us partners were at an offsite and I played this video where I was doing the voiceover on it and it got to almost the end. And Bob goes, wait, that's not you, is it? It got to like the end of a 10 minute video. And then Bob's like, oh, that's 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 not you. That was awesome. That's how good it is. The the process to get that video made and uh, generate a almost 10 minute script was challenging in uh, in the 11 Labs product. Uh, I, I was doing basically paragraph by paragraph to uh, generate the the audio and you know sometimes you need to regenerate some of the the audio because it just had weird inflection or just a weird pronunciation. So it's not perfect all the time. But it gives you so much and it gives a lot of great inflection. It gives a lot of uh, a really, really good audio clone of someone. So you take you take that with the the, the you know, some of the challenges. So first off, I'm bearing the the lead. I'm, I'm less excited about this. I'm excited for them that they've raised $80 million in a Series B to keep investing in this product, <clears throat> in the technology. But I'm really jumping to the story of why it, why it matters. They didn't say, great news, we raised $80 million and we're going to build some more stuff. They said, great news, here's the stuff that we built and it's now live for everybody that we've been beta testing. Oh, and we have $80 million to build more cool stuff like this. So the pain that I had trying to generate something that was more longer form that wasn't just a sentence or two, they've now solved with what they call projects, which is a pretty generic term. And they've positioned it inside of their product as for audiobooks specifically. Uh, killer use case, right? Take your take your audiobook that you your book that you've already written, any text, uh, be able to import it, and really that long form, and then uh, add add voice to it. They show some really good examples of of narrative where you have different characters and voices going back and forth. Just makes it super rich, you know, audio drama level for some you know uh, different type of narrative books for people producing uh, uh you know productivity books and, and business books it lets them get in front of people like myself that i just i never buy the kindle version of a book i don't i never read but i listen to audiobooks like a fiend so it opens up a whole set of people that would and i i know a lot of uh, you know other uh, uh, founders and such that maybe 50 percent of the people I, I i talk to that they only do audiobooks so that's a huge huge plus for people to be able to unlock uh and the the other thing that they released with that is the uh, the ability for uh, for a marketplace for people to be able to monetize their their voice and their their likeness. This is something we've talked about in a few different ways, and we have you know, viewpoints on provenance and and uh, and see that as being very important in a lot of a lot of places. So for Eleven Labs to come out and proactively say, hey, you can have this ecosystem of of voices to be able to use uh and and also they're being fairly paid for it they set their own rates and here's a way to interact and exchange that i think is a really great next step is it going to be perfect i don't i don't know but it didn't exist and now it does so that's a lot further than we were two weeks ago it'd be perfect for when we're telepathing with our neural links on our heads and this notion of like being able to install a new designer voice next time I talk to Kevin. Yeah. What do you want me to sound like? You want, you want a, you want a Matthew McConaughey clone for the day? Well, I can be that for you. 
I think you got a perfect voice as is. I think you should go to the marketplace and rise in the charts and be the number one voice. It's it's gonna be like cameo, right? If if uh, a few, few popular people get a hold of this, it's there. Turn into turn into cameo for voices. Be like, yeah, yeah you want? I, I was I was using Speechify the other day, uh, another voice driven product. Yeah, uh, I had to go through the setup because I added it on a new device. I'm like, oh, you want Gwyneth Paltrow? You want Mr. Beast? And that's their, you know, three featured voices in in their their premium app. Marketplace is going to let you do anything. Whoever wants to throw their voice on there and get paid, you can then throw in there the product. Mm-hmm. If Morgan Freeman mm-hmm. joins, it's game over. I mean, what's the point? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's actually true. The Eleven Labs Marketplace. I'm really curious to see how that's going. They said they already started um, paying out. Is that right? I think that's that's what I saw the last time. I think so. Yeah. They're already actively redistributing, so that is uh, great. It's very yeah. exciting. I hope they ask for um, people who put voices on the marketplace, like where they're from. <clears throat> I have a suspicion that we here in Indiana are going to rank really, really low because of our Midwest accents. No, no I think I think you could get you get the you get the opposite. You're like, where are you from? You get the you don't you don't quite fit on the coasts. Not from down south. What is that? <laughs> Nicest place in the That's world. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can't help but see like a lot of these applications being, being kids sitting in a virtual classroom and making their teachers out like whatever makes them laugh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Or basically, sorry, 90% of corporate meetings <laughs> going like, <laughs> you, you know. <laughs> replace it with your your evil villain if you don't like the manager i don't know i see a lot of uh fun use cases coming through why are you why are you screaming at me hold on one second i'm gonna go and turn up your politeness meter oh that's better yeah yeah. going back to filtered realities that's a that's a real risk that we're introducing here (laughs) like (laughs) i don't want to be yelled at and suddenly everybody's smiling i remember there was a there was a movie about that too wasn't it so you're basically just tuning your reality to what you'd like to see. Yeah. The the other ramification of this too, I think, is right in time as well. You know, because we're on we're on the edge, we're having these conversations. It's maybe not obvious to a lot of people that are thinking about AI and automation and you know text based and image generation. We have a we've in the last several months, we've had a lot of conversations about synthetic video and, and audio. And as we uh, have been implementing some of those different engagements and workflows, we start crossing over with conversations around, well, if this teammate does this voice here, we put them in this product, or if they're in this MVP of this, and they'll do it because they're an employee. But where does that, where, where, how do you formalize that? Where does that, where does that scale? So now all of a sudden, I've done that at a company and wait, they own my voice forever. Now I'm part of their product forever. They can do what they want with it. What? So it's it's interesting that we've had a, a chance to work with a lot of uh, companies in the entertainment space. And now we're crossing over to the same challenges that were a big part of the uh, strikes just a couple months ago in the non-entertainment spaces. And I, I think this is a great Hopefully, it's a great solution to point to as the first like shining star of, hey, just go over there and do that, and it's going to broker it for you, and and it, you're going to have all the right waivers. I, ideally, that's probably uh, some of the network effect that they the Eleven Labs gets from this, and then companies don't have to start thinking about what's our voice clone policy. 
it's we use 11 mm-hmm. labs and abide by their yeah, policy and they, abide they, by those. they did it for me yeah. yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense um speaking of this distorted realities and changing that um one of the big news elephant in the room here is you know the announcement that Neuralink has apparently um done its first human implant um what do you guys think about it bob are you on the wait list are you number two i mean i've already decided for myself i am not going to be a Neuralink user probably because i've built a lot of software in my life and shit goes wrong right and like my fear is like a like an action movie you know like you're in you're in the it's a, literally the matrix you're in the matrix and all of a sudden like something goes wrong and you can't turn it off like you can't tell anybody it's going wonky people are just looking at you from the outside like oh he's just in the neural link he's fine he'll be there he's usually in there for like i don't know seven to eight weeks at a time not on purpose i'm trying to get out in 17 minutes but i keep getting locked in there i, I don't know that's that's a part of my my fear around it and then the other side is more of just a funny reaction is like elon's uh post about it something like uh human trials underway initial neuron firing looks promising it reminded me of like a random note that you would find in like a horror video game (laughs) trying to put together the clues of what happened right how did it all go wrong and you're 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 under you're underground it's it's uh, bioshock you're underwater like what, what happened where's the audio recordings here Right. Oh, we got, we have, don't worry. We have this, his ex posts to put the story together. (laughs) Um, but in general, but it's, it's super exciting. I mean, I, though I, I, I wouldn't be a tester. I, I, I'd want to be, I think with kids and stuff, it's past my time to be that, uh, explorer. Um, but it's really exciting for people who need it. You know, it's not about like 10 X in the superhuman. I think it's about, leveling up folks who um, have special needs and being able to operate in the world even more effectively. And again, sort of bridge the chasm there. That's, that's very exciting to me. I haven't yeah, thought about absolutely. the answer to the question, like would I let my kids use it or not? I'm not sure yet. I mean, I mean, what's interesting, like what you're saying, and, and I think that's, that's what they've been doing, right? They started first, trying to find trial patients with severe spinal cord injuries, right? So we're not, we're not talking your, your everyday human. I mean, they haven't, as, as far as we know, they haven't shared a lot of information around who the actual trial participant is, was. Um, but I assume it was, you know, one of, one of the more severe spinal cord injury cases where, like you said, it's really about restoring certain function or even giving them the ability to do, um, right, to, to just, do things more in their lives and it's they also didn't share just just to get us a little bit wrapped out in, in, in where we think that they are actually at right they they didn't share a lot about it and we've seen a lot of discussions in the scientific community and and hypotheses about you know where they actually at right because they said you know they're getting they're getting neuron spikes but what does it actually mean right um you know that like people were hoping for like a full bandwidth high rate of information you know um and they're currently using bluetooth right how is the information actually transmitted what are they getting right there's there's a lot of information that we don't know about where they are yet um which is needless to say it is still fascinating that they've made it to human trials because that in and of itself is such a hard step to get to um 
but at this stage we don't know where in that stage of the human trials they actually are right as them not sharing a lot of that information publicly yet so super early days like you said calvin yeah we're on the very the very earliest of people that that need it and can get the most uh quality of life improvement from the technology and there's a long long list of people that need to that, that need and deserve to be helped with that before i get turned into a superhuman uh with that right so i'm i'm you know hopeful that that helps a a, a ton of people i it's i i think about the um early cameras that that were neuro embedded that had you know very high very low resolution for people that were you know uh, sight impaired and what those look like you know 20 and 30 years ago and it was you know a few pixels and it's like it was an improvement for the most part my understanding right to have a 24 by 24 96 by 96 resolution of something and sensing and direction and 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 light right and then it you know gets better over over time we're 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 at that we're at you know can we get a few a few pixels going here at this stage so it's i imagine a very long ways if it's anything like any other typical clinical trial we're another decade out before we even get to the part where we can say okay now we can start doing this at any amount of scale i was going to joke that that's the interesting part of my appearance at christmas time this year Right. That's the thing, right? Like, is, is speak going back to sort of the AI cases, though, is that going to significantly improve the speed of achieving that capability, right? Like, are we on the same decade long trajectory to get to that point? Or does this more like Bob, like you said, does this more look like a year? Right. Like how much can be done? And I'm, I'm super keen to see more news coming in in terms of how they're applying artificial intelligence to the problem of trying to make sense of all the neuron signals that they get. I mean, historically, Elon Musk has played this game very, very well. If you think about the introduction of Tesla's, right, even way before they had autonomous functions, it was very, very smart to build out a network with, you know, all cars having Internet connectivity. Right. So you could and then getting early into a learning program and basically creating one of the biggest learning mesh networks out on the road to test your scenarios and to improve your artificial intelligence capability. Now, looking at, you know, drawing, drawing the bridge over to, well, how can this be applied to the Neuralink problems? And I see a lot of potential parallels. So will and, and again, this is this is humans and brain implants that we're talking about. Right. So the, the risk, I mean. Cars have humans in them, but the risk is still a different one in terms of things go wrong. But I'm wondering if this could lend to a similar strategy, right, in terms of trying to test potential signal readings without actually affecting the brain yet, but just getting to a stage where you can start and make sense of the outputs. And that's where I'm really curious to see if they, they'll, you know, get to similar results quickly. I think we're past the inflection point where the Clearly, the pace of technology has outkicked the pace of policy, which was mostly flat. Uh, so I think the technology is able to accelerate way faster, right? Exponential curve of innovation, whereas our policy creation, although we will begin to use AI in, in governance, I'm sure, is still going to be subjugated to very slow, arduous consensus building. And uh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a way to pump the brakes on some of the stuff before it you know, gets let loose uh, ahead of its time. But 
I don't think the tech is going to be the the bottleneck on the neural link. I mean, how many times have we said this in the last year or had a conversation with somebody where it's like, yeah, GPT-1 is not very good. You know, it's like, well, Moore's Law, like wait a day, seriously, like a day. Um, we're not waiting very long for iterations anymore. So I think just in general, being able to capture that data and just drive modeling off it, you've got the inputs and the outputs, you know what they're doing. Now we know what they're thinking build a model between those two things that's table stakes i think in a lot of a lot of ways still difficult but not a pipe dream anymore i think the harder part is like how do you release something like this into the world right this is if you really think about it it's probably the most profound thing that's ever been created by man right we were talking about the other podcast like understand whales and dolphins that's pretty cool that's like who to, it's not even in it's not even in Jules Verne, you know, like he didn't even think of this stuff. And here we are, like ready to have these as products. It's it's pretty insane. Yeah, yeah the hypothetical science fiction into reality. Absolutely. Yeah, the hypo, hypothetical that uh ML and, and AI leaders have been talking about since the eighties have been that once we get to artificial agi to, to general artificial intelligence, runaway artificial intelligence that that you know assuming we get there at some point the only way to keep pace with being able to communicate with it would be something like a neural link to be able to communicate at that speed uh if you if if the ai can think in in uh, milliseconds you know flip that around if it feels like having a conversation with bob takes a one year for bob to tell you one paragraph you will stop paying attention to Bob or you will not be able to do a lot of work with Bob compared to the amount that you could offer Bob, which yeah. replaced Bob for humanity. And, and that, that is you know, the potential of, of AI. I, I think mm -hmm. Calvin, I'm most excited about to build on what Bob, you're saying, not policy specifically, definitely uh, lots of area to improve there, but just change management, um, the behavioral, change the Overton window of acceptance and, and, and finding what the general acceptance is, the seeking of the general acceptance, I, I would say would be an equally impactful thing to come out of the, the Neuralink process of what would it take to move a society forward in a way that we could accept this and find a path forward, um, generally accepting it, majority, you know, feeling comfortable about whatever that uh, solution is and the rules around it in five years or five years from now, right? That would be, that would be crazy. Any other societal change that we've seen and talked about in the last hundred years, we don't need to run down the list of very challenging things, especially in the U S has been absolutely more than a decade each. So to even say we could get there in five or 10 years by taking the learning by, by powering that with AI, uh, that's what it's going to take to get Neuralink to a broader place in the next decade. If that, if that would happen, if it's ready. And if we had that ability, then man, let's point that at all policy, all governance, all social change that we're, we're wrestling with would be super powerful. I think we are, uh, us collectively are, are benevolent. Um, we, we don't always think about what the bad guys will do with it. You know, and that, that freaks me out a little bit. Like if it's, 
if it is what it is, which I think it is, um, there's going to be military applications of this before we even see products hit healthcare. You know, we won't know about it, but that's interesting and terrifying um, in terms of the applications of, of all this stuff, not just Neuralink, but in general, like who gets access first and what's their motive and how are they going to apply it to better the world? They potentially, bad guys usually think they are bettering the world. They think we're bad guys. They think they're good guys mm. and vice versa. Like who is a bad guy? But um, wait, I don't know. Wait, what's we'll what's, what's, what's wrong with, with, with uh, kind of controlling 10 billion people and just having them rake the garden? Hold on. Whatever I'm missing. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're... If, so if everyone you're needs like 10 billion people walking like robots on the street and doing their chores. <laughs> Uh, 12 hours. The puppet master is probably a super lot of fun, but we'll probably be one of the 10 billion, unfortunately. Well, yeah, no, yeah. It's just yeah, Elon and his army, and everybody uses X all the time. Like, it goes back to number one on the App Store. No, no, if, 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 if Elon ever gets to the point, we, we're probably all very, very busy. You know, it's the modern, modern day pyramids. We're very busy colonizing Mars and going to the next planet. Basically, you know, having having the entire of humanity to the task of venturing out into space. <laughs> I mean, you, you say, Calvin, like raking the yards. Take take it a like, what if you what if large groups of people could be upskilled and retrained in a matter of days slash instantaneously, and now all of a sudden there's ten million scientists that could perform experiments and assume resourcing mm -hmm. in space for them but i don't know that's that's also that's that's the positive side of okay if you're plugging me into the matrix give me the yeah. abilities or or you know, make help me understand these tasks at the very least even if i don't understand the uh uh how what, what is happening in these chemical reactions there's like there's a lot of work to be done there that we yeah, don't have and, enough resources point out and, and suddenly argue. yeah and suddenly you're on like nepturian nine mining for ore <laughs> And you're like, where? Who? What? How did I get here? <laughs> Random thought, but like, you know, haves and haves nots. Like, this is really scary thing about like, what if the, you know, there's a lot of redundancy, maybe people losing jobs. Like, what if, uh, what if the way you make money is uh, you become the compute? I don't know. That's kind of a weird, interesting thought. Like it's top a, and early on your head and you thing are thing. an EC2 box, right? You're a server and we're going to harness your brain as a form of compute. It's not to make your life better, but to make our infrastructure go faster so we can do lots of AI at scale. That's yeah, you you got to ask the Kowalski brothers when they started Matrix. Yeah, that's exactly right. Instead of in the weird <laughs> pod with the stuck on your back, it's a comfortable pod with the thing stuck on top of your head. Yeah, basically but, the same be, yeah. well well until then we hope that we'll find good uses <laughs> as we touched on some of them today such as how do we solve you know things for pancreatic cancer and a couple of other things i think i tend to believe like we do what we're trying to do is at least stay on the positive side of the impact spectrum right and do the best we can to make ai more impactful um, and I think at, at this, we're sort of approaching the end of the hour um, and the end of our podcast here. Um, maybe just for our listeners, a thought to close us out. If you're curious to find more 
daily AI news and what uh, keeps our minds busy at day and night, then feel free to head over to meshmesh.io and subscribe to our daily newsletter, which you will find, like I said, as a daily digest in your inbox every day. Um, and other than that, that was the What If You Could show today. Um, and thank you very much for listening and tuning in. Thank you, guys. And up until next time. Thanks, y'all.